Hi, I'm Max Linsky, and today on the final episode of The Books That Changed Us, Ann Friedman and Ami Natuso, the co-hosts of the podcast Call Your Girlfriend and co-authors of this summer's best-selling memoir, Big Friendship. Ann and Amina also curated an incredible collection of conversations for By the Books, so it's fitting that our last interview is with them. Who are you both, and what do you do? I feel like there's no way to do this without it sounding like the intro to our podcast. I'm Ann Friedman. <laughs> and I'm Ami Natuso. <laughs> and together, we co-host the podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. <laughs> and we are the co-authors of the book, Big Friendship. Did that enthusiasm sound forced or real? <laughs> it, all, it all sounds real to me. Uh, thank you both for doing this. It's all part of By the Books. You are the last episode of this podcast that we did for Buy the Books. And so I feel like since you curated all these fantastic conversations for Buy the Books, uh, we can change this a little bit since you're like really the hosts of this whole thing in a way. Uh, and we're going to do away with the first question I've been asking everyone for the last several weeks. And we're going to start with, for each of you, what is one book that changed you, that changed your life in some foundational, monumental, real way? Mm. Do you want to go? I want to hear your... I'm dying to hear your answer. <laughs> I mean, you're going to hear both of our answers. <laughs> it's true. It's, uh, I'll go first. Um, this was surprisingly hard to like narrow down because it turns out that there are um, three books that I consider to like fit this rubric. But um, the one that I have been thinking about a lot lately is the short story collection Unaccustomed Earth by um, Jhumpa Lahiri because I read it at a time in my life that was really uncertain and I think that the pandemic is bringing back a lot of those feelings for me and I've been rereading it and it's a lovely book like she's an incredible writer I have enjoyed every single thing that she's written but this a short story collection I read I want to say right when it came out in 2008 I had just moved to Washington DC I was really just trying to like find my place in the world. My mom had died a couple of years ago and I was really feeling this like specific loneliness of moving to a next phase of life. Like it was my first um, foray into the professional world. I had moved to DC right after college and there was just like a lot, I had a lot of unresolved feelings about, oh, my life is moving on in this like really intense way. And um, this person that's a big part of my life is not here. And I forget how I came into possession of that book, but I will tell you that I read it in exactly two days hmm. because I lived really far out in the suburbs of DC on the red line. And I would have to commute into town a lot for job interviews or for figuring out like what I was, you know, I'm like, how, like, where am I going to live and feeling really defeated? Like I had no money at all. I it was so confused about why I had made this choice to move to a city where I didn't know anyone. And I started reading this book and immediately just got um, enthralled in it. Hmm. And it, um, sorry, I'm like getting really emotional, which is why I'm talking, I'm rambling, but 
it's basically like the book is about the Bengali American experience, which is not my experience at all. But um, good writing is good writing and will really like bring up a lot of stuff for you. And, um, you know, there are eight stories here and they follow Bengali American immigrants and their children as they traverse all sorts of borders and expectations for their lives. And I am an immigrant. I started feeling it immediately. And sorry, guys, I'm getting really emotional for some reason. That's okay. You know, the title of the book comes from this Nathaniel Hawthorne introduction to Scarlet Letter that I have memorized and always remember. That is, um, human nature will not flourish any more than a potato if it be planted and replanted for too long a series of generations in the same worn out soil. My children shall strike their roots in unaccustomed earth. And every single story in that book just um, was very much about this theme of just like finding yourself about being an immigrant and figuring out like what you want for the generations of your family. And it was really powerful to read in that moment. And so I read the first half of it on like one trip into DC from the red line. And I was late for this job interview, ended up not getting it. It was fine. It was a shitty job. And then the next time I picked up the book to read, I um, completely missed my stop because the last story um, just like completely destroyed me. It's set in the background of the tsunami that happened in uh, the early 2000s. And it was just like a really intense experience. And I remember completely missing my train. Like the next time I looked up, I was on the other end of the red line, had missed whatever thing I was supposed to go to. And just sat in the train for probably 30 minutes weeping and crying. And I, there's not a lot of books that have done that for me. And I have a, like a very deep, intense like connection to this author in particular, but also to this series of short stories, because I think that it's just bringing up a lot of what I'm thinking about right now in the pandemic. Yeah. So much is uncertain. Like we are just really walking around with this ambient grief and there are not like very precise words or a good vocabulary to just to really explain the vastness of the feelings that we are feeling yeah. because they are so connected to how we relate to our own families, how we relate to our own place in the world, how we relate to, you know, ourselves in the future that we want. And so that is a, uh, that is my choice for that question. Well, that is a, um, a very good answer to that question. Um, I have I have one follow-up, though, which is like, certainly right now I can understand that feeling of uncertainty. But I, I wonder whether reading it, Amina, made you feel less uncertain or feel more okay with the uncertainty? I think it made me feel like I was a part of just a larger... <laughs> of a larger humanity. You know, I think it, if anything, it, it made me feel less lonely and it made me feel seen, but I was still very uncertain and very unsure. But I think that knowing that the emotions that I was feeling were not completely foreign and I wasn't the, the first uh, lonely person in Washington, D.C. certainly was helpful. You know, it's like that James Baldwin quote that I always butcher about how you think that like your pain is the worst pain or your, you know, like your experience is, is so unique. And then you just read books and you're like, oh, like, right. here we go. <laughs> I love um, I'm not even going to look up the quote because I, I like love my butchering of it. So there you go. Sorry to the James Baldwin estate. I love the idea of picturing that, like the Instagram quote, like, and there you go, James yeah. Baldwin. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, there so you there's go. that, books. Yeah, um, millennial James Baldwin, but yeah. Uh, all right, Anne, what's the book that stood out to you when I asked that question? 
Oh, this is an impossible act to follow. And also, frankly, an impossible question to answer. I was like, okay, from the 15 that immediately leaped to mind, <laughs> how do I narrow this down? Like, like babysitter's you know, club, one, two, three. Listen, totally legit answer. Listen, totally legit answer really, to the question. Let's not go all the way to Anne M. Martin territory, but like there are a lot of books um, <laughs> that I could be talking about. But the one that came to mind first, weirdly, is uh, this series of two books of Susan Sontag's journals. The first one is called Reborn, and the second one is called As Consciousness is Harnessed to Flesh. Oh, eye rolls. I can't even believe I'm saying this. But here is why I love these books. I read the first one, which is basically like her teen and 20-somethings journals when I was in a period of great career and creative uncertainty. And there was something about reading the, like, unvarnished, like, not always super smart, sometimes kind of petty thoughts of a writer and thinker who you had previously only read, like, the beautifully edited, polished up, completely coherent works of, that is just so comforting. Like, there's definitely, like, smart lines and smart thoughts, and you can see the way things are starting to develop and gel for her in these journals. But when I think about, like, feeling okay about doing stuff that you don't think is great in real time or, like, feeling okay about the long arc of a career or the long arc of your creative output, there's, there's a comfort I get from journals that I don't get from the, like, beautiful, perfect, finished works mm -hmm. that have maybe changed my life in other ways. And I just have such visceral memories of reading this all the way through, but also kind of picking it up and flipping through it when... I just wanted to be reminded that everything starts out really bad. <laughs> like, everything starts out like really kind of cliche or like that the stuff of everyday life of just noting like, yeah, I saw this movie or like making a list or making a petty observation can like somehow be part of a bigger project and also, you know, not be something that anyone ever sees when they look at the end product. Mm -hmm. um, and for some reason, you know, I had read like, I mean, listen, by this point in my life, I had read so much writing that I was like deeply envious of, you know, like on a level of structure or just like, wow, where'd you get that verb? Like, I don't know, like on every <laughs> on every other point of admiration, you know, I could sit here and list books all day long. But when I think about something that really granted me permission to also kind of be more messy in public, I think of these and like other writers, journals and unvarnished thoughts. Do you journal now? You know, I have not been for the past month. I am too busy talking. Um, but, but in general, I will say that I always have a notebook going, yeah. you know, like even if, you know, like right now I don't have like a daily practice. There is always, it's never like, well, let me start a new journal today. You know, there's something always in progress, you know, and my level of dedication to it really changes. I think a lot about the Comics artist Linda Berry has a book out about drawing comics, but she, in her intro, describes your notebook or your journal as a place that you go, not a thing that you make. And I think that that really rings true for me in my experience. It's not like I'm trying to write something that's going to look really good, polished up and published someday. In fact, I hope none of them are ever published. <laughs> um, but I like knowing it's a place I can go and I visit it more often at some points in my life than others. You never put them out? Oh my God, no. <laughs> I just got a full body chill, like thinking oh. of someone ever reading my journal. <laughs> I would rather like, no, I will. No, absolutely not. But that said, I am not, you know, I have a friend who a couple of years ago destroyed all of her journals and notebooks. You know, she's a visual artist as well. And because she did not want 
there to be any question about them being found <laughs> or published or anything when she was gone. And I, I, I don't feel called to do that because I like having them as like a personal reference. Even if I very rarely go back and read them, I kind of... I like to have them. But yeah, there's definitely a please destroy clause uh, in all of my um, end of life documentation. <laughs> we're, we're never going to get the collected journals of Anne Friedman. Oh, let's hope not. And this is such a good pact for us. Please, if I go first, destroy my computer and throw away all of my journals, like every single one of them. Thank you. Trust me when I say your body will not be cold before I am storming the door down to find them and burn them. <laughs> That's all I want. That's all I yeah. want. Thank you for being a friend. Yeah, true friendship. <laughs> true friendship. No time for uh, sorrow and feelings. Got to get rid of the journals. Oh, please, Max, have we met? I will 100% be channeling my grief by, like, taking action on behalf of Amina. Like, trust me that that is, like, very on point with, I think, how both of us might deal with something like this. Um, Well, I feel like uh, you guys have a very good sense of how you would deal with something like this because you just spent all of this time writing this memoir of your friendship. It's called Big Friendship. It is a New York Times bestseller. And I'm interested in, for my last question, if there was a book that as you were writing that book together that you used as some kind of North Star, was there a book that was like inspiration for you for how to do that? Because the kind of book you were writing, both like the nature of what you were writing about, but also the way in which you wrote it, like not trading off chapters, which is what co-authors normally do, but actually writing the thing together. Is there a book that helped you do that? Well, there's not a book that helped us with the co-authors question. Let's just say that straightforwardly. I don't think... um, (laughs) We invented that. I I detect bitterness in your voice. (laughs) I do have bitterness. I'm really really mad that we could not find a precedent that we could steal or like look to or try to do better or try to live up to. Um, Yeah, so that does not exist. Our kind of we voice narration. I don't... You know, that's actually not true. There are a couple of examples, but um, none of them are are the kind of project that we did. There are some We Voice books that we did look at, but nothing that really felt applicable. Yeah. When we started the writing project, um, Carrie Fry, who was our editor, sent this uh, survey, you know, like her like intake survey of how you work with her and like what your expectations are or whatever. And one of the questions that she asked is, which books do you want your book to live on the shelf next to? And um, that's such a good question. It was such a like helpful visual, you know, and I think like the first book that we put on that list was um, Cheryl Strayed's Tiny Beautiful Things, because we have an emotional connection to it. It's a book that as soon as Anne finished reading it, like she went out and bought me a copy. So thank you, Anne. And I think like back to your previous questions of like books that have changed us, I think that that, um, you know, Tiny Beautiful Things is definitely a book that I would put on that list because I think that it was the first time that I really embraced a kind of openness and earnestness that usually makes me really uncomfortable. And the way that just, um, you know, Cheryl Strayed writes in such a like very, very generous, but very clear voice. And I think, you know, mostly it's like everyone is always projecting like their own feelings onto uh, <laughs> all of the art that they, the art that they consume. But I think that for me, that was really the first time that I was starting to understand that I could be softer than I was and that it was not a bad thing to like share your feelings and to say how you think and to be really open about the things that are painful for you. You know, and that was very much the spirit in which I approached like writing this book with Anne. Mm. And I think also on a level of craft, 
She's writing in this advice genre that is really just never praised for, you know, like on a literary level. You know, people might be like, oh, that was a great self-help book that helped me, you know, figure out what to do about my attachment issues or whatever. But they are very rarely like, here is this advice book that is just like an incredible literary achievement. Mm -hmm. Right. Sentence for sentence, like amazing. Every single part of it. 100%. Yeah. And I think that that similar feeling of like us wanting to write something that was about like a quote unquote soft topic, but like do it in ways that felt like rigorous and that felt like, you know, like you say, true to this kind of generosity of feeling and emotion while at the same time not just being like a barfall over the internet personal essay stereotype. Like she really like, you know, that book is really a a gold standard for that kind of writing. And, you know, and also when you think about um, telling a personal story in service of a higher aim, you know, really for us, when we were trying to make choices about how personal to be about something or what felt like overexposure, we could sort of say like, okay, but is this for a greater narrative good in the book? Is it for like in service of a greater point that we want to make that's more about like the politics of this thing that we're writing about? And if so, then we can feel okay with including it. And so I think also on that level, she was a real example to us in terms of it feels very considered what she is sharing. It doesn't feel like she's like, let me just tell you about my pain for the sake of like telling you about my pain. I really am. I have thought about the structure and I'm going somewhere with this. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that will never be just an advice book to me. And I will always raise an eyebrow when someone says like wild. I'm like, really, really? That's your pick? Like, (laughs) fine. Good for you. I respect that. And also, um, yeah, my heart is really with this book. Yeah, you know, the other thing about Tiny Beautiful Things also is that one of the things that we just kept saying over and over to each other when we were writing Big Friendship is that we are not friendship experts. We, like, truly did not want the project to feel like it was just us talking about ourselves for the sake of navel-gazing. Like, what we were trying to do was really invite people to have a conversation. And we kept saying that over and over to each other. And to Carrie, we're like, we want the book to be an invitation to a conversation and not the definitive, like, here's how people are doing uh, friendship in Brooklyn and in L.A. in, uh, you know, like, 2020. And, <laughs> and I think that that is tiny beautiful things like does that very 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 well yeah where you feel invited as a reader and you feel just like really taken care of you know and when you consider like the really hard things that you know Cheryl Strait is writing about I I think that that is a really remarkable feat where I'm like okay I feel like very well taken care of and I feel that it's a book that I can now take into all sorts of spaces emotional spaces that I'm in and have conversations with people that I love Well, thank you for doing this. A joy. A pleasure. Thanks for having us, Max. That was our final episode of The Books That Changed Us. The show was made in partnership with Longform and MailChimp Presents. It was produced by Janelle Pfeiffer, art by Joelle Avellino, music by Aaron Lammer. Thank you to Amina and Anne for sharing the books that changed them. Go get your copy of Big Friendship today, and then go read the amazing conversations that Amina and Anne brought together for Buy the Books. You can find those and the whole Buy the Books lineup at MailChimp.com slash presents. Thanks for listening.